Let's now take up and read 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9. But uh, in order to give context, we'll read from verse 1 through uh, verse 9. Hear now the word of God. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not, re- not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, Are you not being merely humans? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, through whom you have believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. This is God's holy and inspired word. It contains all that we need for faith and for life. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever. Let's once again pray. Oh Lord, bless us with your word. We know that Jesus said, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. And we trust Jesus with all of our beings And recall those words to our hearts. Thy word is truth. Make us receive this word of truth with gracious and acceptable hearts. We ask this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's be reminded of the things we talked about in last week's sermon. Paul continues to express that believers are immature when they act with jealousy and strife and are subsequently divided. Paul says that these are merely fleshly works, and we looked at that in detail. In their division, one says, I follow Apollos, I follow Paul. Aren't these divisions? Just an expression of immaturity in Christ. As Paul says, infants in Christ. Although believers have the Spirit residing within them, they are acting as if they do not. They are acting unspiritual by their divisions. So we turn to this passage. He says that ministers are not celebrities. They are not superstars. They are not super Christians. Jonathan Edwards was not a superstar. 
nor George Whitfield, nor Martin Lloyd-Jones, nor R.C. Sproul, nor Derek Thomas or Tim Keller. You can fill in the blanks. And they would not want you to divide this way. I had a classmate in seminary that always quoted from Charles Spurgeon as if he was the end-all, be-all in theological discussions. I don't think Spurgeon would have appreciated that he was regarded as a celebrity. No. In Paul's descriptions, in Paul's description, they are simply servants of, of the church. If the Corinthians or you see ministers in this way, then you, you express your for, further immaturity. This leads us to the doctrine of the text. And it is this. Ministers are simply servants. And only God gives growth to the immature. I'll repeat that. Ministers are simply servants. And only God gives growth to the immature. In the exposition, Paul says there are three metaphors or analogies that he draws to our attention. Servants, planters, and builders. I would like to divide this sermon up into those three headings. One, Christ's ministers are servants. Two, Christ's ministers are planters. And three, Christ's ministers are builders. Let us look at the first heading. Christ's ministers are servants. This continues from verse 3b through verse 5. I will read this to you. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. Paul says, that in divisions you are behaving in a human way, not a spiritual way. By dividing Apollos and Paul, they are acting as if they had conflict amongst themselves. But there is no indication of this. And to clarify this, he gives them an analogy. Paul and Apollos are merely servants. Servants of the church, Servants of the Lord, but merely servants. Verse 5 says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants. They are servants. This also could be rendered ministers, waiters, or attendants. Not the owners of the house. Not masters in the house. Not even apprentices of the house but mere servants. The definition of a servant is, quote, a person who performs duties for others, especially a person employed in a house on domestic duties. 
A servant performs duties for others. This is normally regarded as a bad thing. It is normally to be considered a bad thing uh, of, of servants, to be servants. If you are a servant, you do not have much to offer. However, it is of great honor to be servants of the Lord. Verse 5 says, Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. That is, we view ourselves as servants, but our honor is to be servants of the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1, this is how I'll, I'll, he, Paul comments further, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ. And the steward of the mysteries, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Paul and and Apollos see themselves as servants, but they see themselves as honored to be servants of the Lord. It is a great honor and privilege to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. To be an ambassador for Christ and steward of the mysteries of God and the consequence of that stewardship is that we may be found faithful. Not only is Paul considered a servant of the Lord, but he continues, through whom you have believed. Paul continues in verse 5, servants through whom you believed. Paul went to the pagan Corinthians because they had never been instructed in the ways of the Lord. He was sent on this missionary journey from Antioch and was commissioned to preach in order that the Corinthians might believe. This is a word of instrumentality. In other words, Paul says, if you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, it was by the instrumentality of my preaching. But I do not have the power to make you a believer. I do not have any regenerative power of my own to enable you to become new creations in Christ Jesus, to enable you to believe. It is only God who gives the growth, who enables you to believe. This is the greatest honor to a preacher. Someone might say, I really grew in my faith under his ministry. This is the single greatest compliment that a a minister of the gospel can ever receive. I really grew in my faith under your ministry. However, properly speaking, it is God who gives the growth. Properly speaking, it is God only who gives growth. We preachers are just instruments which God uses to enable the church to believe. He uses the means of a preacher. But nevertheless, it is God who gets all the glory. Further, the servants of the Lord are assigned by the Lord or given by the Lord. Verse 5 continues, As the Lord assigned to each. 
Another translation of this verse could be servants through whom you believed and each as the Lord has given. The Lord gave these servants to the church in Corinth. Each has a different task to perform, but nevertheless, the servants have been given to the Corinthians. Do you see your pastors as gifts of the Lord? Servants which the Lord has given to your church for your good. Reflect on the servants of the Lord that you have seen in this pulpit. They have not been ultimately assigned by this church or this session or the presbytery. They have ultimately been assigned to you by the Lord of the church. The Lord has gifted each of these ministers to you. You can speculate about why this happened, but it is clearly stated in this passage that the Lord has signed each Uh, has assigned each of your ministers as servants to you. If the Lord has gifted them to you, you cannot deny the gifts without denying its giver. So honor the Lord who gave you these servants for whatever reason to honor the Lord. A further analogy that Paul gives us is... Christ's ministers are planters. Christ's ministers are planters. In this, Paul enters another metaphor, which we need to break down. We will need to break the order of the passage to arrive at the clarity of the point that Paul is making. The first point is that the church is God's field. The church is God's field. Verse 9 says... You, the church of Corinth, are God's field. The church is God's field. The church of God can be compared to a field. The second point is this. The laborers are one. Verse 6 says, I planted and Apollos watered. And verse 8 says, He who plants and he who waters are one. The Corinthians are acting as if Paul and Apollos have different visions of the church and are different in teaching. Paul may have greater learning and Apollos may have been more eloquent, but ultimately they are still one. They are one in that they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. They preach the wisdom of God in the folly of the cross. They ultimately ultimately are just laborers in the field and are one in service to the Lord. This leads us to another thing. The laborers receive wages. Verse 8 says, Each will receive his wages according to his laborer. uh, According to his labor. This goes along with the parable of the talents quite well. Do you remember Matthew uh, 25, verses 14 through 30? A man leaves for a journey and entrusts one man to five talents and another two and uh, another just one. 
the one with the five talents and the two talents invested their money and made another five and uh, five talents and two talents. But the one man who received only one talent buried his talent in the sand. And when the man comes back from his journey, he congratulates the first two saying, well done, my good and faithful servants. But the one who buried his talent in the sand, Jesus gave a stern rebuke and took the talent from him as he was, quote, wicked and slothful servant. This was in order to ascribe fear in the hearers that they might not hear this word on the last day, cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Ministers ought to be aware of being ascribed as wicked and slothful servants in their manner of service. But also the members of this congregation ought to be aware of being wicked and slothful servants. For they are all expected to be servants as well by the knowledge of Jesus. The planter and the waterer receive their wages in the last day. A fourth point that we will make under this heading is they are not anything. They are not anything. Um, Ministers, and I speak this uh, on my authority, they're often proud people. They're often proud people. But this, um, this verse um, recalls that they should not be proud. That they should be the most humble. So let's read verse 7. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. Is anything. Ultimately, the laborers are insignificant. Ministers are probably so insignificant that for everyone who is remembered, maybe a million are forgotten. You will probably remember the names of Martin Luther, John Calvin, George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, etc. But for everyone that is remembered, one million, maybe a billion, are forgotten. They are so insignificant that in a generation's time, they will all be forgotten. And that is the way God does things. For His own glory, ministers are merely instruments in the Father's hands to to urge men to believe the Gospel. In His providence, many of the ministers of this church will be forgotten. Or if they are remembered uh, only by names, they have this, this congregation has probably forgotten what their ministers even said and taught. Like 
uh, Apollos. The name is remembered, but we don't have any idea what he taught. And that is the way ministers, servants of the gospel, that is what the ministers of the gospel are faced with, becoming humble servants. We don't even know what Apollos was teaching, but we know that he taught the person and the work of Christ, for Paul says so. However, we have one hope, that only God gives the growth. This is said in verse 6 and again in verse 7. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Again in verse 7. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Believe me, preachers are proud creatures. Uh, I, um, I have an example of this. Uh, one uh, church member in Waynesboro would, all the, would fairly often call me a creature. He, he, so he didn't call me a preacher, but he called me a creature. And that was rather humbling for me. But I needed to be humbled. And you know what? I also think that you need to be humbled. Where, however, however the preacher is to be humbled, you need to be humbled as well. Like, like priests, like people, Right? He all the time called me creature. Hello, creature. I've lost my place. (laughs) But that's good. I, I, I said that all extemporaneously. So, that's progress. Finally, Christ's ministers are builders. Lastly, he says in verse 9, you are God's building. Now, we will get to this later um, in, in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10 and following. But for now, <clears throat> know that the church is God's building. And he is constructing the church into a glorious temple whose cornerstone is the Lord Jesus Christ. This we will continue next time, but, but uh, this leads us to applications. I have four applications for you this morning. The first is, regard your ministers as servants. Regard your ministers as servants. Whatever metaphor, whether it be specifically said that he is a servant or planters or builders, all these indicate preachers are mere servants in the household or in the field or in the building project. All are servants whom the Lord has assigned. So regard us 
as such. That is in continuity with Jesus' directions to the disciples from Mark 10, 20, or 42 through 45. I will read this. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But whoever would be great among, among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This promotes. This provides the motivation to be a servant. Jesus Christ came not to be served, but to serve. And gave His life as a ransom for many. Isn't the minister's obligation to resemble Christ? Jesus came as a servant. And therefore, ministers should be as well. But this is not only the motivation of the minister. It is also to everyone in this congregation. Do you not long to resemble Christ our Lord? Then then be a servant. For He did not come. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve. Regard your ministers as servants of God. This is the glory of a minister. That they, if adequately called, they are servants of God. They are servants, but they are servants of God and of the Gospel, which is the proclamation of God's Son. And that Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. And the successful ministry of servants is that they ought to be faithful. As Hebrews 13.17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give account. Let them do this with joy and not groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So, encourage your servant leaders, for they will have to give account when the last day comes. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Third, give glory to God for your growth. Give God, give God glory for your growth. Remember, God only gives the growth. Through weak and sinful men, servants of God, but it is ultimately God who gives the growth. Glorify God. Don't glorify the man. Encourage the man. Make note of his progress, as Paul says. The minister who serves you 
give encouragement to him. For if you encourage him, he will do better. He will be a better servant. But ultimately, glorify God that provides you to reach spiritual maturity. Only God gives the growth. Therefore, glorify Him for giving you each and every opportunity for growth. Fourth and lastly, the Lord's Supper evidences the session's service. So session members are ministers. Ministers of the gospel of grace. Not teaching elders, but ruling elders. The session serves you in the table of Christ. This is not properly the session's table. We give admittance to the Lord's Supper, but we do not own this table. It is the table of the Lord. We do not invite you to this table. Only the Lord does. And the Lord invites all those who have faith in Him and walk obediently to Him. He does not invite the wayward, unrepentant sinners, but He really does and truly invites sinners, justified sinners, to this table. We are simply servants of the Lord. We simply serve the bread and the cup of the Lord. But all those that have faith in Christ believe that Christ is spiritually present and feeds you with heavenly bread and wine. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we commend You that You give that You have made servants Your ministers. Bless the ministry of this church. But always Keep them humble. And keep the congregation humble as well. For we are all servants of the great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that we should regard ministers of Christ's kingdoms as simply servants. However, we should follow their example. For Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Every member of this congregation. And we declare the message of cross of the cross. Folly to men, but wisdom to God. As we come now to this table spread before us, we pray that you will see these that you will set these elements apart make them effectual and allow them to work in us that we will have greater faith when we leave in Christ's name we pray amen